Hello and welcome to Humans of Agape. We are Agape Europe, a community of people who make Jesus known. So lives are changed and Europe is transformed. We want to bring spiritual hope and help to people from all walks of life. I am your host, my name is Jochen Geck. I work in the Berlin City Hub in Germany and I'm curious to hear about what God is doing across Europe. Today I bring you an episode that's a slightly longer one. So please savor it, listen to it while you're making coffee, folding laundry, go on a long walk. You can even stop at one point and come back to it. It's worth it. Our guest today is Matthias Langhans, Agape's team leader in Vienna, Austria. Matthias likes to ask questions about our times, and he's found super fascinating parallels between the times of the Irish mission movement and today, and how their strategies and initiatives can inspire us today. He also gets super practical and shows us what that means for the ministry in Austria. Without further ado, here he is. Hi, Matthias. Hey, hello, Jochen. Matthias, you're truly an international man of mystery. You grew up in Japan. You're born in Germany. You worked and joined staff in Switzerland, married a Swiss lady, and now you work in Austria. One really doesn't know where to start with you because what you do now is so fascinating too. Why don't you say a couple of words to tell our listeners who you are? Yeah, of course. Yeah. First of all, I'm married with a beautiful wife, Barbara, and have we have three children um, in the age of 11 to 14 years old. They are now, we are now in Corona time, so they are doing as best as I can homeschooling and me as a father and trying to help them in that. So I hope they don't just run into the room and disturb the meeting, but they are trying their best. And my wife is working as a nurse. She's now um, somewhere at people, old people's place, helping them. And, and so that's our life. We are living now in near Salzburg. And um, I'm the team leader of Campus or Agape Austria here. And um, we have 14 people, a team of 14 people. And um, so since two years, we are here, as you said, international grown up. So for me, it's not... It wasn't that special to move to Austria, but of course, moving with a family is different than just moving as a sing single. So there were some new challenges with children. And as a native German speaker, you, of course, had no trouble pronouncing my name, but you moved from German speaking country to German speaking country to German speaking country. How hard is it to adapt to the cultural difference? Yeah, it's interesting from the language, of course, there's always the possibility to understand each other. Of course, here in the mountain valleys, some really uh, more older people who have a strong dialect, you won't understand them, of course. But of course, day to day life, it's no problem to understand each other. The problem was more the, or the challenge was more that, um, for example, German people aren't that accepted as tourists they are very welcome <laughs> but but culturally for austrians here more in the mountains it's they are a bit positively sp speaking curious negatively they are uh, a little bit hesitant about germans so sometimes actually i tried my best swiss accent di dialect to speak here 
of course, the Swiss people would say I don't speak Swiss German because I'm <laughs> German native. But um, that's much more accepted, for example, the Swiss German because you're Swiss and that's uh, cute and, and not the German big country coming invading Austria. So there are some cultural challenges, not so much the language barrier. It's more the cultural thing within it if they hear your dialect. Yeah. And I mean, our three countries share a lot of history. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you mentioned moving to Austria with your family two years ago. Yeah, that's true. Two, about yeah, ex exactly two years ago. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uprooting your family, but you also said that that's something that you're kind of used to from the way you grew up. But tell me, what is ministry in Austria like? I mean, I was 12 years in, in part of campus uh, Switzerland. I was also five years there in the, in the leadership team. So I was used, of course, to a big organization where you have graphic designers. You have for every job, you have uh, specialists. And here in Austria, so my start was um, doing the web page for the Shine Ministry and uh, doing some um, administrative stuff, like how much people get for money, like a system for that. So I was really feeling like in German we say Mädchen für alles, which means like a, um, I was a girl for everything. So I felt like doing here and there and there. So it's definitely different. Um, but I love it. I mean, I am from my heart, I'm my passion. I'm a pioneer person. Actually, my wife and me both love this pioneering, going somewhere new, um, facing new challenges, but also having a lot of room to to um, start new things, do new things. And so it's both. It's the challenge, of course, not having the same resources, capacities as we had before in a Swiss ministry. On the other hand, really this room of pioneering things going up front on a new landic way of life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And to those who are not familiar with the term new landic, that's a book written by uh, Boppy, Andreas Boppard, who's on the Agape Europe area leadership team and He's also National Ministry Director of uh, Switzerland, Austria, and Germany. Yes, yeah. Great read. Now, as a pioneer, what, what have you pioneered? Where has the Lord led you to start new things in Austria? Yeah, so I think two years ago, we were actually, we had just at that moment, we had our sabbatical time. So we were two months off. And uh, in that time, we took a good part Of prayer time, of course, with children, three wild children, it's limited, but at least the times we had, um, and that was really strong. And one, or actually two things which really came strongly one was investing into the young generation, because that's really, um, you, you just, when you come to Austria, you see the big difference to Germany or Switzerland, where you have um, just a few. Um, models of young churches or young um, groups. So there's a really lim limited numbers of young people following Christ. There's a big movement among the Catholics, the Loreto movement, which is very strong, but also they have challenges in its discipleship and they need a lot of capacity. So it's really just growing um, from the ground. And so that was is one passion investing into the young generation. And so our focus is really shine. 
Shine students, so the um, student ministry, but also the Shine movement among young people. We do summer camps with around 200 young people in summers. We um, Sam Heiser is the leader of Shine, so he's I helped him a lot also in his ministry to start like now in Corona time, online mission weeks, um, living with young people together um, during the school times and investing doing missions, evangelism, discipleship. So that's a big part where I really felt it was, that was more helping out. And um, other topic, second topic, which I really felt during that time, speaking with leaders also in Austria was investing into leadership because there aren't, aren't nearly any Bible schools or scholarships um, for, for um, young upcoming leaders and um, or discipleship schools. If you have discipleship schools, about 90% are from, from foreign countries, from Germany, who love the Austrian mountains, of course. And so there's really a challenge of, of um, leadership capacity, building up leadership capacity and so I, I really felt I would like to pioneer in the area of, of that. In Switzerland, that wouldn't have been needed the same way, but here in Austria. And so I started the School of Novice, and it's um, one-year leadership school where we have committed young people. This year we had seven young leaders, women and men, who are as, as novices, so that's the word, who really come into campus. They aren't staff yet, but some of them are doing like apprenticeship with us in Shine Ministry and other ministries. Some are doing volunteering in some ministry areas. But on the other hand, every Wednesday, the full day is training. So evangelism, discipleship, biblical background, church history, um, awakening, looking at so tomorrow we have church history of the pre-reformation period where were there really lively movements happening amongst the monasteries movements and so that's really um my heart and my passion to build up leadership in austria yes so that's that's the school of novice inspired also from the irish mission movement which um, changed of course the middle of Europe over the last, um, or especially in the mid or before medieval times. Yeah, I was going to ask about that term, school of novice. Novice is a word from the monastic tradition. You already mentioned the Loreto movement, who I know are um, good friends of Agape Austria. Is Agape turning Catholic now? Ah, I love this question. It comes from a different stream. So, I personally was asking a lot, God, um, about the the future of Europe. So what is needed in Europe? You can do so many things as a leader. So you, it's always about prioritizing your focus. And during that time, I was actually in Wittenberg five years ago. And I did talk about my friends. It's um, a tool where we train Christians and churches how to connect with unchurched people around them in a very simple and natural way. And uh, while I was teaching that in Wittenberg, that was before the Reformation Jubilee, I there came an old couple towards me and they said, Ah, Matthias, it's really interesting what you're saying. You should really study the Irish mission movement. There are a lot of 
similarities when you talk. It, it reminds us about that movement. And I, I did my master's degree in, in theology, so I had some background in church history. I knew about it, but there wasn't a lot of knowledge about it in a deeper way about it. So I thought, oh, that's interesting. But I, as, as often in life, you don't have the time to go after it. And so about a few months later, I was again preparing for a um, leadership meeting to do a preaching. And I was studying the history of that region where I was studying what were the, the first Christian roots in that area. And again, the Irish mission movement popped up. And I thought, okay, now I really need to get into that. What is that more about? And I was Googling until three in the night. And, and I was so fascinated about this movement in a, in a time of paradigm shift. So I saw a lot of similarities. It was a totally different time. But in many ways, there were similarities to our days today, um, where we are really going through a paradigm shift And Corona is pushing it even faster, this paradigm shift we're in. And so I was just so um, fascinated from the lifestyle of this Irish movement and the way they, they multiplied the DNA of this being a follower of Christ. They called it peregrinatio pro Christus, so being um, someone who's ready to step out of the known into the unknown land as and following the example of Christ. And while I was studying that, I realized this is something which is relevant for our day. So I started doing a pilgrimage. I really sensed that God really telling me, okay, now get on your feet and go, because that's what they've done a lot, the pilgrimages, the Irish monks into the into middle of Europe. So I went through all of Switzerland. That's about Not that big, but still 500 kilometers, 450, so it was enough. And during that time, I was praying a lot about what can that look like in our days. And one focus came then to, to learn from this Irish mission movement. So the route isn't that much Catholic from the School of Novitz. It's more inspired by this Irish mission movement, which was, interestingly, they were called by the Reform. They called it the Reform movement because they were discussing a lot with the Pope. They weren't always agreeing with the Pope and went their own way. The, the Catholics all call it the holy movement and the evangelical call it the mission movement. So every <laughs> tribe denomination <laughs> claims it for themselves and say, ah, we know them. We have a heritage there in them. Um, even the evangelical movement or the reformed movement or the Catholic are drawn to it. And so the school of novice has its root not so much in the Catholic movement today, like the monasteries, which are more often sacred away from the reality of daily life. But the Irish monks and the monasteries were exactly the opposite. They were in the middle of the society in those days and influenced the cities of those days. So it's, it's a totally interesting, fascinating movement, which we can study and learn from them. Yeah, that's super fascinating, especially since we've had a couple of Irish guests on this podcast. We have a strong Agape ministry in, in Ireland, and so the Irish going strong even hundreds in Austria. of years ago yeah. <laughs> in Austria, in Germany too, yeah. in the south of Germany, in Switzerland. Mm. So could you break it down for me? Where did you see the parallels um, of, of what they do, what they did back then, to what is needed today? Yes, very good. I think what is interesting is the parallels of that 
Because when you study a movement, it's always interesting to see in what days or what time did that happen. And so the parallels I see from that time to ours is, first of all, we haven't seen such a strong cultural shift like in those days. Since then, there were always cultural shifts in Europe. But what we see now over the last six, seven decades of change, of cultural shift, of um, really foreign people, I'm not judging it, it's good or bad, it's just the reality that it's really changing the culture of Europe. That happened in that time um, or before the Irish movement in a strong way through the, all the Germanic tribes coming into the middle of Europe and and changing the whole culture of middle of Europe. And so there were similar fears among the Celtic Roman people. What is happening now? They weren't coming from the southeast, were coming from the northeast. And what is how will Europe look like in, in 50 years? So there were a lot of... Um, changes of identity, a, a struggle of identity, which I see now also in European young people, especially seeing who, who are we as Europeans. And the um, second parallel I see is that the whole systems they trusted in those days, in they were Roman influence. So they had a clear judgmental system. They had uh, structures in economies. There were a lot of clear things since 800 years Rome was never conquered. And in, in the year 409, Rome for the first time fell after 800 years. You have to think what that means. And, and the Christians in that Rome, in that city thought Jesus is coming back now. And now is the end of times because Rome is falling. It was so strange for the people. And there was really a breakdown of the things which were known. And I sense that we are in a similar time now. Suddenly, I mean, 20 years back, we wouldn't have thought, is capitalism functioning? Is democracy functioning? And suddenly today, these are the real questions. Is democracy functioning? Is capitalism still functioning? It's everything is 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 breaking down. And, and so I sense there's a similarity in that way. And another thing parallel, a third parallel is the Christian. We are now in a phase of a, of a huge shift that church isn't, isn't anymore. The, the, um, so we're in the after church time or after Christian time. So it's not normal to be Christian. And there are some Christian values, of course, they are still in, 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 in many ways you see that, but it's not obvious anymore. It's not clear anymore. And in those days, through the whole cultural shift of the Germanic tribes, suddenly not Rome was the, which was Christian then through the Constantine change, um, suddenly the Germanic tribes who were unchurched were the, the ones who were ruling and influencing. And, and suddenly Christianity had this new challenge. It wasn't clear that, that Christianity would, would overlive this time. And, and it could have been that some, we all would be some Celtic tribal godness where we follow in Europe, in middle of Europe. And I think we are in a similar phase now where church isn't that relevant again. We are a minority and we need to change the things of how we do mission in our days. So that's the background to explain what times were they in and where are the parallels to our days. Mm -hmm. It's eerie, the parallels. And um, I'm so glad you see them so clearly and explain them so well. But so how did the, um, the Irish monks 
how did they react to that? And what can we learn from that for today? That was, of course, my learning curve and my interesting things to see the difference of the, in those days, the Roman Catholic Pope who tried to do missions towards the Germanic tribes compared to Irish, the Irish mission movement, which there was, a, you just saw the difference. You, you, you saw that the Roman Catholics tried to do missions, but it didn't work out only in some cities, which were very, in those days, the cities weren't the, the influential places. About only 20% of the people were living in the cities and about 80% were living on the, on the rural areas. And so if you wanted to influence in those days, of course you had to be in the cities, but if you really want to, to influence the, the nation, the, the people, you needed to go to the rural areas where the people lived. And so the, the Catholic Roman Pope who sent missionaries out, they were often not reaching out to the people. And instead, the Irish mission movement, they had a, a way of reaching them And three, within about 100 years, 300 monasteries grew all of Europe, middle of the Europe. So from Belgium to France to southern Germany, Switzerland, Austria, northern Italy was really impacted. And there's this book calling um, that they're not only spiritually impacted, but it's um, called How the Irish Saved Civilization. So Yeah, they had a social impact. And now the question of you was, of course, why did, what was the difference? And the difference was, and we have to go a little bit back, is that Ireland was through St. Patrick in the year 431, about, that's when St. Patrick came to Ireland. I mean, so interesting story, his own life to, to look at. But what he did was that he came to an area of Ireland which was never Roman. So the whole Christian faith was built in a non-Romanized area where there were no cities, there were no structures, there was Celtic background, they had a Celtic belief system. And so the whole Christianity was built culturally into these systems. And in that where the, the abbeys or the monasteries became the cities of that time they were the social impact places and they they um, were the libraries of europe in those days and and i think that's the key of of um, their influence because they knew how the celtic germanic tribes functioned it wasn't the roman system which spiritual system where they had um, we call it this dual spiritual system you have the high level um, where you have the angels, gods, and and you have this area of them uh, in the spiritual air, and then you have the physics um, where the Greeks and the Romans were interested in, but the daily life wasn't impacted a lot through spirituality. And, and that's what the Irish monks, through this Celtic, Christianity is always missional. So the missional God who became man came into the Irish Celtic culture and this Irish Celtic culture could impact the Germanic tribes in a totally different way um, because they had a that, um, spirituality which reached the middle. They call it the middle, spiritual middle of the people. So they had a spirituality for harvest. They had a spirituality for life and birth. They had 
the, the how does faith look like in the daily life? And that's why the Irish um, uh, blessings come from, because the Irish blessings are God is before you, he's after you, he is uh, with you, he is in the harvest, he's there, he's in the nature. So it's more, much more built into the daily life. And that function or that connected with the Germanic tribes who invaded all of Europe. In, instead, the, the Roman Catholic system with the dual spiritual system didn't co correlate or didn't connect with the Germanic tribe. So that was one part. Of course, there are others. Um, one other part is the whole peregrinatio. So this being sent out, a key verse of the monastic uh, mission was Philippians 2, the chapter 2. So they saw themselves as followers of Christ, as Christ came To, to earth. So Philippians 2 is this um, hymnus, this, it's actually a song in the old um, Christian church, where they, which were singing to, to worship the God who was ready to not be God, stay God, but who, to become fully human. And not only that, but to die even for the people. And that's what the Irish mission movement, from the example of St. Patrick, said, we want to be the same. We want to be um, ambassadors. We want to be Christ followers in the way that we go to the barren land. And as Christ went before us, and we want to do the same. So that was the power. Um, they didn't want to do missions in the first way. It's interesting. They didn't want to build a monastic movement. They wanted to be Christ followers. And in this being Christ followers, they built communities And so it wasn't orchestrated from a central place. The abbey in Bangor weren't, that was one of the key monasteries in Ireland, wasn't ruling Europe. They had a DNA built into the whole movement. And this was multiplied step by step through this, this um, peregrinatio, through that being ready to be sent out to a new place. And that's why monastery by monastery was, was pushed into the land And you see that in the best way, and then I will stop um, when you see the excitement I have for it. You see the difference when you see the Benedictine movement from northern Italy, which was static in the movement. Instead, the Columban movement, which came into Europe, which was Irish, through this peregrinatio, through this being sent out, it was dynamic. It was movement orientated and that's interesting for us as agape because we want to be a movement and that's a second thing which i love being culturally relevant that's i think what we can really learn from them and the second thing is that they had a key and understanding of being ambassadors of christ being fluent being dynamic in those days um, there's last thing there was a speech of the first european um, after, when they were setting up the EU, he said, the, he, in his first opening speech for the EU, one of the key messages, he, a politician, not spiritual way, he said, we want to learn from Columban. Columban was one of the Irish monks, for 591 he came into the middle of Europe, because he was the first European. And what he meant by that was that the Irish monks were the first ones who came through the lands, overcoming cultural barriers from nation to nation and, and were as the dynamic that they were ready to step into new cultures and to, to bring their impact 
in that way. <laughs> so that's really interesting. <laughs> cool. Because um, I was going to say the, the whole talk about movements, that sounds very familiar. Just a quick uh, question. The European leader that you talked about, was that uh, Schumann? Robert Schumann? Could be. I have to Google again. I, 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 I think he was a great I, yeah, Catholic yeah. believer. Yes, very possi possible. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You did a, an excellent job of uh, not containing your excitement about <laughs> yeah. this. You also shared your learning and what we can learn today. Now, you said that all of that um, led you to start that school of novice. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Can you explain more about that? That, that connection. Yeah. Exactly. So that, that was interesting to see this, this movement, how they were culturally connected to the land. They built um, this, this movement through the monasteries, also how they had this DNA of being um, sent out. And the third learning I, I had was that they built monasteries. And like I said, these monasteries weren't some holy places where no one came to it was vibrant bee beehives bee yeah like bees you know it was like really lively places of spirituality um there were 24/7 movements the first big 24/7 movements were in Ireland so in Bangor they had a 24/7 movement over 260 years until the vikings came and brought down the the monastery so they were the first uh, so when we have one year 24/7 we can still go on to learn and so the the key for the movement or the to to build this um, vibrant community to go on were these spiritual hubs I call them spiritual hubs and one of that key for the spiritual hubs were schools for young people from the region so they gathered young upcoming leaders i mean there were young people where they showed them the way of the rule of columban which was nothing else than 10 rules connected to the sermon of the mount so how to live out the sermon of the mount in daily life and um, they coached them trained them and led them into the life of the hub the spiritual hub and influenced these key leaders and these key leaders became often afterwards they didn't stay in the monasteries many of them most of them went into the society afterwards they went to into key places at the king's place and they went on interestingly to live out the rule of columban in these these uh, influence places and some of them of course became bishops which was also more um, sometimes more even a political role they had some strong influence socially also and some of them started new monasteries so the key of this movement that it was so vibrant and um, dynamic and went on was because they gathered young leaders from that region and influenced them in the way of Christ And, and that's what I saw. And I said simply, let's do it. <laughs> so we say in Switzerland and Austria, we say one of our values is just do it. <laughs> so it's very simply. And so I said, let's do it. And I shared one and a half years ago to the leadership team. I have these thoughts um, inspired by the Irish Mission Movement to start a school of novice 
built on the four pillars of the monasteries and I want to gather young leaders to influence them within the campus context, within the hub, the spiritual or the campus hub which we have, so they can really look into our lives and and see how they are impacted and maybe some of them will stay with campus because they are novices and some will, some will go into society and live out the lifestyle of evangelism, discipleship and uh, um, readiness to live out Christ and to follow Christ within society. So that was the background why we started the School of Novice. Yeah. Okay. And so you said they get a first-hand look at how you um, share ministry life. You mentioned already the teaching they get. So is that it? Is, is that what they do? And what, what kind of people become novices? Yes, very good question. So there are two questions what I understood. One is the people who are coming in and we have the focus group are 20 to 30 year olds. Some of them are university campus um, students or they are students. Because the history of the universities was always that in universities, people, young people were teached in spirituality, in biblical um, background, which often ha doesn't happen now. So we said, okay, first one group are students who who um, are ready to invest. Maybe of the first year graduates, they are so perfect. They don't want to do everything good. So they won't start often with the School of Novice. But if you're used to some uh, university, you can say, oh, can I can take this day off. And some some days it's maybe not possible, but 90% of the days they can take part in the School of Novice. And they are also doing voluntary work within campus. So one group are university students and others are people after university who work in, in normal jobs who say, I want to invest my life to learn to be a Christ follower and I want to learn to be a leader, a stronger leader. And so this is the group we are investing in. And what we are doing are, like I said before, the four pillars. So I looked at the monasteries, which were the main key lessons they were sharing which they wanted to multiply and i see it in this we call it the benedictine columbine uh, rule of life you know many know the ora et labora as a benedictine rule but the original benedictine rule is called ora et labora which means prayer and work life and et lege which means learning or um, to read, actually, from the, from the Latin. And, and so it's, it's called Ora et Labora et Lege, Deus adesine mora, which means God is here without delay. And that's the original Benedictine rule, because most of the Irish monasteries who were influenced by Columban were first living out the Columban rule. But at some point when the, when the monasteries were re Catholized, they became the Benedictine, they took the Benedictine rule. And, um, but one of the problems of the Benedictine was they were very static. So I added a very uh, simply one fourth thing, which was very relevant for the Columban, which is peregrinati, which is being ambassador, being sent out. So the whole evangelistic discipleship part. So our four pillows are ora, which means prayer. 
So we have a strong prayer life. Every morning we have on Wednesday a prayer time together and we lead the people not just in prayer, but we let them lead prayer times. I think it's very crucial in our days for the young people that we don't just teach them to 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 um, do inputs and and uh, talks, but also to lead prayer times in a very creative way, in different forms, learning from different church history backgrounds how to lead prayer times and worship times, and so this is a very strong key in the in middle of the day at twelve in noon on Wednesday we have an open prayer time where any unchurched people can take part in in the main. Uh, train station. So we have a room in the train station, a spiritual place from the Catholics, which we can use. We're very thankful. And there anyone can come in. So it's like an open prayer room where we lead the prayer, but anyone can participate. So prayer aura is one key pillow. The second one is labora. So it's important for us that everyone um, who takes part as an office in the school um, is either is in one of the ministries of campus. So either they're in the student ministry, the shine ministry, in the gain ministry, in the athletes ministry, working either voluntary or as um, apprentice. Also, they can build up their their mission partner, um, financial um, partners who help them. And so, so that's the second pillar to really not just have a theory in mind, but to really work out in the groundwork and to participate. And often discipleship happens directly in that part. The third pillow is lege, so learning, reading. So we have every Wednesday of this day where we give them theological background, biblical background, but also learning to be a leader, communication skills, personality, um, to have a um, mindset of a, the challenges also of a leader and looking at that. So very practical things. That's the third pillow, lege. And the fourth pillow is peregrinatie, which means being sent out. So learning to be, uh, learning evangelism, discipleship in daily life. So we have now such a great example. For example, we had a My Friends training, which is I talked before, had to live a lifestyle of being a testimony in daily lives and to help people to follow Christ in the in the natural way. And so we did this training was part of the School of Novice in September to December. And out of that came that students started a, a Bible discovery group with their unchurched friends who started now reading in the Bible, who started to pray in a new way. And some of them had really an atheistic background. It was very, very new for them. So that's one fourth key pillow is Peregrinati to be sent out and to help other people um, within society not to just to say we are a holy bubble, but to be out there and to lead other people to follow Christ in a simple way. So these are the four pillows. And then comes this promise, the Benedictine promise, Deus ades mora, which means God is here, not just he is here, but he's here without delay. So when we do these four things as a school of novice, we expect and we have the promise that God is here with his presence without delay. And so that's the, in a simple way, um, gathered um, the concept what we live out as a school of novice within the hub context. That sounds super fascinating and also very healthy that it's centered in prayer and centered on God's presence 
that people learn, but that people also serve, and that it's not learning uh, and to to stay in your little bubble, but to be sent out. I really like that. Now, for everybody who's listening, who'd love to be a part of that, but who can't, what can we learn maybe even in these very, very special corona times from what you learned from the, the Irish monks? Is there anything you can teach us? I mean, for the German-speaking friends, we have on the School of Novice webpage, so schoolofnovice.at, we have a blog where I have a lot of content inspired by the Irish monks, how they lived out missional life. I have teachings, there are video teachings on evangelism in our days, um, where I had a lot of lessons um, where I learned from this movement. And um, so that's one way. Of course, you can go on that blog and get inspired in that way. And otherwise, I would say, in this, especially in these Corona days, I sense that we can... It feels like, I mean, geographically, we are still in the same spot. We are even at the closest spot than before. We are not even... Can't move even more. But I think in our... Emotionally speaking, or... or psychologically, however you want to say, we are really challenged into new lands in the way we live our daily life. So I think for many people, it feels like very barren land in a way where we're living now. And we realize this is not just for um, the next months, it's maybe for the next years. And we need to learn in this barren land to, to um, live out a life Of following Christ and I think that's one learning the, the Irish monks called it they had always this um, martyrdom so they had different colors of martyrdom that's how they call it so they had the rat martyrdom martyrdom in a way not just I want to kill myself or be killed but it's more like being ready to follow Christ even if it means death so this readiness um, To, to live out. So that, that was their goal, to be ready to live out life, even if it would mean to, to die for Christ. And so they had the red martyrdom, but they said in Ireland there was, because most of the people became followers of Christ, they didn't have the problem of that they had the red martyrdom, so they called it the green martyrdom. So they went out to the green lands, and there's a lot of green in Ireland, so they went to some barren place, and we still know these pictures of some some bee houses somewhere and some islands in barren land to be there and to be in silence before Christ. And this was the way of martyrdom to, to step out their own community. But the problem was often in those days, because they were following Christ, there were examples. A lot of people gathered and some of these places get became cities, even though they first wanted to the, the green martyrdom. And then the last martyrdom they were talking about was the white martyrdom, which was going into the fog of the sea and being ready to go to a land which they didn't know and where there weren't securities. And I sense that this time is a white fog time. We are, we are so used to know how things function in our culture and we have it on con in control. And it's already challenging when we don't know what is happening in two years' time. We are challenged in our calendar. It doesn't work out. And now suddenly our total calendar is uh, is exploding and we don't know what to plan in one month. So it's 
the securities and and I sense that we need to what we can learn from the Irish monks and nuns actually the nuns were the ones the first interesting that was a oh, that's a great story the whole women's were the first pioneers of doing the peregrinatio to Cornwall and so on it's a very interesting story um, by the way and they were ready to go into the white fog and and I think that's what we can learn from the Irish movement to be what does it mean to be ready to trust God to know that he's with me that's my greatest treasure it's not that I know where to go but my greatest treasure that Christ that I can follow Christ and that Christ is in me and And they called often these thin places to go at the place and know God's presence is here. That's their treasure. That's their strength. That's their energy. And I think we can learn that from them in those in the, these times where it feels like going into the white fog, that we can not be in a in a frustrated way in the boat going into the white fog. Why am I going to this white fog? I hate this white fog. And of course, we know these moments, you know, and we we are frustrated, we're angry, we want to go back to the land where we knew the people and how it works. But this boat is going, you know, we are going into the white fog. And I think I sense a little bit that God is even pushing us this way because we were so controlling ourselves and We can talk a lot about being ready to be ascended, but I think now we are really in this moment where we, where there's no way than just learning to be a peregrinatio, being a peregrinati, being peregrinus, to to go into the barren land and but do this in a in a hopeful way, knowing that it's not just um, coincidence that we are in this boat going into the white fort, but it's a plan from God. That he wants to lead us to be in this role and also be an example into society how we can live in this situation as period. So that's a, a big learning I'm sensing now for those days. Yeah. I just want to add one thing, sorry, um, Jochen. I really need to because it's really such a huge topic and it's so important. It's about like I added before the woman in the because I talked about a lot about the monks, but key in the Irish mission movement were the women. Um, there were a lot of double monasteries where which women led, so women led men and women. And the first ones who went into Peregrinati from Ireland were the Irish women who went to Cornwall. So they were the first Peregrinos before Columban, the older, the young, and all these people, um, Gallus. It was the woman who went to Cornwall and The men often went to monasteries where they were who were led by women, and was even the only known bishop was a woman in Ireland. So there were the women's were really strong, and I sense in also as a second thing from this Corona time that I want to encourage especially women, um, like in those days in the Irish days, um, where the women were the first who were ready to go into the fog that I encourage especially the women around us. We need you to help us to step up front, to go before us and with us into the fog, to take this white material, uh, martyrdom. And, and um, in Cornwall, a lot of women nuns started monasteries, but many died also for their faith. And so I think that's also one thing I really want to add in, in these times. Mm-hmm.
Yeah, that's beautiful. I like that. Great. Encouraging yeah. all women. Yes. Thank you so much, Matthias. And um, yeah, you gave me a lot to think about. And I really like how you shared about those four pillars and that all of this is possible and all of this is done trusting that God is near or God is there without delay. Yes. And that is my wish for you yes. in these crazy Corona times with three Thank wild children so and a hardworking wife on the forefront yeah. of this yes. uh, Corona crisis. Yes. But thank you so much for taking the time yes. to share with thank us. Thank you so much. All the best. Bye. Grace and peace. That was Matthias Langhans. He is Agape's team leader in Vienna, Austria. If you like this podcast, why don't you take a minute and send a message to your friends to recommend it to them? And how about sharing your favorite quote in your Instagram stories? Speaking about social media, you can find Agape Europe on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram or check out our website agapeeurope.org. I'm Jochen Geck and this is Humans of Agape. See you next time. <laughs>